Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Darrell Jazz Johnson. He's a sports and entertainment journalist and has been for over 10 years and essentially fell in to this role, which is pretty cool. He's had interviews with Samuel L., Giannis, Kobe, Magic, contributed to Rolling Stone, amongst other covers of the Knicks, the Nets, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Jets. It was so much fun getting to talk to him, how he got into journalism, what he's doing with it. Now he's taking advantage of it. So please enjoy this episode with Darrell Jazz Johnson. Today, on For the Love of Sports, I have Darrell Jazz Johnson, sports and entertainment journalist. For over 10 years, interviews include Samuel Jackson, Giannis, Kobe, Magic, contributes to Rolling Out, AM New York, Harlem Times, Harlem News, covers the Knicks, Nets, Yankees, Mets, Jets. Where are the Giants, man? Why don't you cover the Giants? A couple of reasons. Uh, A, I didn't grow up a Giant fan, and B, uh, somebody at my paper uh, pretty much locks the Giants mm. games down. All right, sorry so, to hear that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. You know, it would it would be nice to do one to to add it to the resume, mm-hmm. but outside of that, there's there's really no reason to do it. Well, I'm I'm crossing my fingers because you got my <laughs> Mets on there, and hopefully you can get the Giants on there too, so you can have both my New York teams. But sincerely, man, thank you so much for hanging out today. How are you? No problem. Thank you. I'm pretty good. Pretty good. You know, yeah. enjoying uh, this quarantine life as much as I can. You know, uh, windows open. You know, looks nice outside, but you know, I'm staying in, so I don't know if it's really nice outside. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. I'm up here in the Northeast as well. I'm in New Jersey. Got some sun shining. Yesterday was nice. Today was nice. This weekend is supposed to be beautiful. So yes. hopefully you can get outside a little bit during the weekend, man. Well, well deserved. I will take a long shopping uh, supermarket trip on 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 one of those 80 degree days. There we go, man. Enjoy <laughs> the hell out of it. So, Jazz, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Um, wow, that's a good question. Thanks. Um, as a kid, um, my mom passed away uh, a little over, well, almost eight and a half years ago. Um, but she was... Um, a tomboy growing up and she was a huge sports fan. So as a kid, you tend to gravitate to the things that your parent or parents like. My dad wasn't around, but my mom was a big sports fan. So I started watching sports with her. Um, Ironically, the first quote sport that I started watching was wrestling, which is technically not a real sport. Like WWE, WWF wrestling? Yeah. Yeah. Just want to make sure. Um, So from there, I I got into baseball, then football, then the NBA. And, and, you know, then it just took off. I started getting boxing and and tennis and, you know, became a a huge all-around sports fan, um, you know, as, as a young adult. I love it, man. Same thing with me. I actually kind of uh, have that route as well. My dad just never, he was a Chargers fan, San Diego Chargers fan growing up for whatever weird reason, but (laughs) it was my mom who was much, much more into sports and she's a huge baseball fan. So every day, pretty much for 180 days a year, there's a baseball game on in some capacity. Um, And if it's not the Mets, if we're not rooting for the Mets, we're turning on the Yankees and rooting against the Yankees. So that was always fun too. Uh, Being here in the New York City area, it does help. And so I know you you were not in sports journalism immediately uh, upon entering the workforce. I know there's kind of an interesting story there. We spoke about it before. So how how did this opportunity, you know, 10 years ago in 2010, how did this opportunity come about? And why did you jump at it, especially if it was something that you've never done before? Well, um, I was volunteering at a at a uh, uh, for a charitable organization. Um and I met this gentleman who's a sports photographer at the event. 
we exchange information, um, information, excuse me. And then a friend of mine who I grew up with, we've, we've had, you know, sports debates for the last 30 years. Um, and, but he started working in the industry. So all of a sudden he had this air about him as if his opinion meant more because he worked for this company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him, you know, the biggest personalities in sports are wrong. Oftentimes what you do doesn't solidify your opinion is whether your opinion is right or wrong. So he, he challenged me to do like he did and get my perfect, my opinion professionally heard. As a man who loves to take on a challenge, I then called up the sports photographer that I had met. Mm-hmm. I proposed to him. We started blog together. My writing, his photography. He gave me a test assignment. You know, mm-hmm. three three sporting events that were going on. Write three opinion pieces. I did it. He enjoyed my writing. So not only did he he agreed to do the blog with me, which was called the Raz and Jazz uh, Sports Blog. He's Raz, I'm Jazz. But he also hired me for the New York Beacon, which is a weekly African-American newspaper. So I literally went from, you know, a Knicks fan my whole life in August to interviewing Amari Stoudemire in the NBA store in September. So it really was, um, I often tell people I was never a journalist. I never wanted to be a journalist until I was a journalist because I didn't have time to consider, hey, this is something I want to do. I was presented with an opportunity um, and I jumped at it because if you're a lifelong sports fan, how would you not jump at the opportunity to cover the teams and the sports that you've loved your whole life? It's a, it's such a cool, it it doesn't ever happen like that. Right. I mean, like only in New York city where there's, you know, 18 teams you can cover (laughs) and those types of opportunities. Right. You know, this isn't happening in, you know, small towns in, in the middle of the country, unfortunately. And, you know, as you said, you got the opportunity and you jumped at it. Was this, this first job, I mean, you started that blog and you kind of got you got hired from this newspaper. Was this enough to cover your bills? Was this a, a full-time oh, no. position right now? No. So, no. so I guess at what point did you finally, I guess, you know, so you start there, you're covering the Knicks, as you said. You go from a full-time fan in August to interviewing Amari Stoudemire in September, which is a great way of putting it, too. So I appreciate the, uh, the, the, the analogy there. But what, not analogy, but I don't remember whatever the word is, um, but what, like, how how did you eventually how did you know this was the right career path for you once you started trying it and once you started to get ingrained deeper and deeper into the culture and the industry well i remember um so i started in september 2010 by a little over a year later um i started saying to myself self you never played professional sports but you're able to write about sports professionally. I studied music for 10 years. Mm-hmm. No, I studied acting for 11 years. I said, if you can write about sports without having played sports professionally, then you should be able to write about music and and, and acting and theater and, and stuff like that. So... That's when I began exploring more opportunities, writing about other things. Um, ironically, as fate would have it, I explored those opportunities at the New York Beacon. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and I love the guy, but the guy who's the entertainment editor there is very possessive <laughs> over um, his you know, ed, uh, entertainment section. So that was a no-go. Um, you know, he took my card to be polite. And after I dropped a couple of names, he was he was definitely impressed, but he was like, okay, I'll take your card. But mm-hmm. um, I truly believe he had no intention of, of using me. Um, 
in, in, in that capacity. So I started to look for opportunities elsewhere. Uh, the first opportunity that I, I, I got, well, the first segue to an opportunity in entertainment came with uh, SNY uh, Net. So, mm -hmm. so the TV station SNY uh, created a Nets blog called SNYNets.com when the Nets moved to Brooklyn. So um, I spoke to the editor about, you know, when Barclays Center opened, Jay-Z opened the building with eight concerts. So he said, you know, what would be a good idea if you went to a concert and spoke to the fans there wearing Brooklyn Nets gear? Mm -hmm. Find out why, why they're wearing it. Um, it was a good idea. That's what I did. And I, and I found out that, you know, people were wearing some, some said when in Rome, do what Romans do. Mm -hmm. Some said, well, I grew up a Knicks fan or a Bulls fan, but since there's a team here, I'm going to support them. There were some people who, who said the same thing that weren't really NBA fans, but they said, I'm a Brooklyn fan. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to support what comes in Brooklyn. Um, so that was my first kind of like taste of um, a mixture between sports and entertainment. Loved it. Um, my next big opportunity came with the Harlem Times. Um, and, you know, I covered it Alicia Keys uh, and, and Miguel concert at Barclay Center. Um, great time writing about it. Um, and, and that just got the ball rolling on the entertainment side. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I love both equally. It depends on what's going on, whether, you know, I would choose the sporting event or the entertainment event, but, um, to me, that's like the best of both worlds, having yeah. the opportunity to do both. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be so much fun. As you said, you studied music for a while. You studied acting. You've always loved sports. I mean, if you could write about the things that you've enjoyed all of your life, sounds like the perfect job, man, right? And, uh, you know, a perfect career, even better than that. So I guess, how long did it take to phase out your full-time job to allow you? And, and how did you do it, too? Was it through the relationship building? Was it just through the sheer hard work? I'm sure there's a combination and there's an algorithm for it, but... What was that timeline like and what did you have to do to get to the point where you could say, okay, I don't need to do a job I don't want to do anymore. I can really focus on this new career. Well, it, and like you said, it was a combination of those two things. Um, you know, networking is key. I remember uh, specifically this gentleman um, who, who was a, a friend of mine now. He saw me covering the Atlantic 10 tournament and he saw me covering the Big East tournament. So he came up to me. He said, I don't know you, but I've, but I've seen you every day this week covering both tournaments. So I said, I have to come over here and meet you. I met quite a few people that way because they didn't recognize my face. But I was in there like the daily guys. Mm -hmm. So some people covering um, sports for, for weekly or smaller publications. The game starts at 730. They'll show up at 7. 25. You know, the game ends at 10, they're out the door at 10.05. Me? Oh, no. Jazz. Oh, no, everybody. I think we lost them. Hour and oh. Okay. oh, you're back. Okay, cool. Uh, I would, I after 10.05, what would you do before and after a game? That's where I lost you. Oh, so instead of the people that leave at 10.05, I would show up to the game hour and 45 minutes before the start because that's when the coach speaks. I would do the locker room pregame. I would do the coach after the game. I would do at least one locker room after the game. Mm -hmm. If I can get into both locker rooms, I would do both locker rooms after the game. So people would see me like, you know, I don't know this guy, but he's here all the time. Mm -hmm. He's working hard. So they would, you know, introduce themselves. So that's how I networked. And it wasn't really me trying to network. It was people recognizing my hard work mm -hmm. and introducing themselves. Um, that has enabled me to create a, a, an amazing network um, in the sporting industry that, that, you know, helps me 
to this day. Um, and I started the foundation just just by working hard. I love it, man. And I mean, again, that's that's you know, networking, hardworking, smart working. There's there's a couple different workings in there, and you kind of have to have a combination of all of them. And it seems like you've been able to to hit the nail on the head, uh, hit the nail on the head for a few of them. So, I mean, I know you know you've had the opportunity to interview some incredible people, cover some incredible events. Um, let's start with the interviews, though. We talked a little bit about the events. We'll get back to that. Where and how did you develop your skill to interview people? Because it's taken me a little while to feel comfortable on camera or feel comfortable in front of another person. And like probably it's taken about two years for me to get to where I am and almost 300 interviews at this point. But how long did it like what did you do and how long did it take, especially in that situation where you're kind of trying you're fighting for people? As you said, you're in a locker room, you're going to the coach. It's a way different situation than you and I. You know, we already talked once and we're already a little comfortable with each other. How what was it like kind of getting your feet wet on the job at that point? Honestly, that's where studying acting comes in, you know, because if I'm if I'm nervous, then I got to psych myself up. You know, you need to to be assertive. You need to you know, if 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 the rel is not going to cut it, you need to create this character jazz who's who's confident, who's assertive who speaks loudly so people can hear him. Because sometimes, a uh, perfect example, this was All-Star, uh, NBA All-Star Weekend last year uh, in Charlotte. Um, Dwayne Wade. I'm being patient, letting other people ask questions, and then they say last question. I start speaking. Another guy starts speaking. We both stop. We both started again. We both stopped. Finally, the third time, I was the only person that started and asking my question, you know, um, and, and it's not not about winning or losing, but but you do have to be assertive. Mm -hmm. If you're not assertive in situations, especially when it's a scrum, especially when it's a huge event like NBA All-Star Weekend, where there's media from all over the world, literally, um, you're never going to get your questions across if if you're not assertive. Mm -hmm. um, so I have that mentality that I need to be assertive to get my questions across. But I've also had enough respect to say, you're not with the Daily News or the New York Times or the New York Post so or ESPN. So don't ask the first question or the second question or the third question. Let the let the daily beat writers get their questions in first, and then you jump in, and and that's what I do, and that's a formula that that has worked for me for ten years. Yeah, keep keep doing it because you're killing it. So uh, you know, appreciate that, and that's really interesting. I didn't realize that there was kind of I don't want to say a pecking order, but there's kind of a culture to this and understanding like, hey, like the daily news, ESPN. They're going to get millions of clicks or whatever that is. You know, you'll you'll get your questions in. You have to be assertive. But I like the story that you tell with Wayne Wade and really understanding that aspect. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. And I guess, you know, how did you like learn for letter, lack of a better term? How did you learn how to ask questions and understand what was a good question versus what's kind of pedestrian and it doesn't really need to be asked can be inferred? Like, how did you go about that? Uh, process as well because I know again in the beginning I was terrible at interviewing not to say I'm great at it now but I've definitely gotten better over time and understand where some questions can be asked and others can be held off well um Raz uh, Mark Raspberry um excuse me who who passed away uh unfortunately in 2016 but when he hired me he told me he said okay I know you know a lot about sports, but now you're going to be around people who also know a lot about sports too. So if you're going to ask a question, make sure you it's a good question. And I always remembered that. So when I think of a question, I don't necessarily instinctively ask it. I replay it in my head. Like, is that a good question? Can I ask a better question? Can I ask this question in a better way? So that's like a, a mental process that I go mm -hmm. through before I ask a question. Um, and that's, it suits me well. Have I, you know, asked some 
maybe not foolish, but have I asked some questions where, where I'm like later, like, yeah, yeah, I probably shouldn't fast that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I also, you know, asked some questions where, you know, I, I, I really watched the video and I say, you know what, that was a really good question. <laughs> you know, 2011 yeah. Darrell had it going on. That was a good question. There so, you go. Um, you know, I, I give a lot of it, it. The funny thing about it is, you know, I became a journalist in 2010 and I didn't study journalism, but it's almost like everything I did leading up to it prepared me for it. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't study acting to become an actor, um, but that helped me, you know, as a journalist. Um, I, I've been a proofreader and copy editor before. Knowing how to correct someone else's writing actually helps you be able to write mm -hmm. uh, in, indirectly. Um, so, so those things from my past prepared me um, for my journalism career without knowing it was preparing me for it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, you're able to draw upon your past, as you said, and be able to start being able, you're able to then turn it into something. And again, you know, this was, it was a cool thing. You know, you started a blog, you got a little beat, you know, hanging out. And then you were able to, as you said, just continue to work and work and network and find ways to get to more events and meet more people and start asking better questions to the point where now this is, you know, it's been your full-time career for a little while. And I always just, you know, just again, you know, some of the, the gigs that you've done, being in New York City, how much more opportunity do you think comes with Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center, the New York Yankees, the, the Jets, the Giants, the U.S. Open? Like how how much more opportunity comes to New York City, especially on the, the worldwide stage, you know, talking about UFC and boxing as well? How do you take advantage of those situations and how do you put yourself in a position to take advantage of those situations. Well, well, New York City being the backdrop of my career is is the key. Um, for example, Magic Johnson, when I interviewed him, Magic was courtside uh, for a NCAA tournament game Michigan State was playing. Me and another mentor who passed away, sad story, um, but he's a cameraman. You know, I'm the I'm I'm the guy who asked the questions. We we went up to Magic. He introduced himself. You know, I introduced myself. Hi, Magic. I'm a fellow Johnson, Darrell Johnson. Uh, thinking foolishly that that would count for something. Oh, he, he's a Johnson. Sure, we'll do the interview. Um, but he actually said to my partner, who are you? Because he asked if we can interview him. He said, who are you? Then he looks at me. And who are you? Then he says, okay. You know, and, and you know, it's Magic Johnson. And, and he only gave us 90 seconds, but it was a good 90 seconds. And again, it's Magic Johnson. He's one of the most recognizable people in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it, a lot of that happen does not happen if it's not New York City. Mm -hmm. um, the A-list stars in New York City are the A-list stars of the world. If I'm in Atlanta, which I have covered sporting events in Atlanta, no, the A-list stars in Atlanta, no offense to Atlanta, are B and C-list stars here. You know, when they mm -hmm. show celebrities on the Jumbotron, those people aren't making a jumbotron at MSG, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, that's, so, that's a pretty good point. I've been to a few Rangers games and uh, the Hadids, Bella and Gigi are always mm -hmm. there and they're always on the jumbotron. Uh, yeah. You make a good point. And, and, and I'll take it a step further and, and I love Barclays center and the people over there. So I don't, I don't want, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. The stars at the garden and the stars at Barclays center, Big difference. Mm -hmm. The stars that go to Knicks in Rangers games and the stars that go to Nets in Islanders games is a big difference. Mm -hmm. Maybe that'll change next season when Kyrie and Durant are playing together. 
because you know stars like winners and they like the other stars stars yeah. like other stars but you know all things being equal people want to be at the most the world's most famous arena and that's menace square garden mm-hmm. yeah i mean it just again it gives so much opportunity as you said you know a, a michigan state game why are Michigan State playing? Because of the NCAA tournament, and they want to play at one of these two arenas here in New York. Uh, you know, again, the I know you covered UFC 205, if I'm not mistaken. You covered Absolutely. some gigantic, you know, boxing events. Again, just the world's most famous arena. I think it's a given title, but I do think it is one of the most famous famous arenas in New York City in in, in the world, and it's not even really a question. And I mean, I guess so. How? With covering all these teams, with covering all these events, one question I know we I asked you when we we had our, our our quick phone call before this conversation, going from fan to as you you know you you had the story before you went from a fan in August to interviewing the star player in September. Being in sports media, one thing I hear a lot is it's not you know while you you used to love the sport because you'd sit down at your house or you'd hang out with your friends and you talk about the game and you do all that. Now you turn it into a job. Now you turn it into a career. So you don't get to have as much fun. You can't clap in the press box. You know, a lot of these things. How did you handle going from fan to not saying needing to be professional, but turning it rather than from a fan perspective into now an objective journalistic perspective? Have you still been able to enjoy the sports as much or is it just a different way of enjoying them? Absolutely. But it's a different way of of enjoying it. Um, You enjoy quality athletics. So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when I started, I enjoyed everything because everything was new. Um, you know, now that I've been doing it 10 years, would I get excited about mm, the Memphis Grizzlies coming to New York? Mm-hmm. No, not really. Um, would I get excited about the Lakers coming? Absolutely. Um, you know, so there's there's a difference there in 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 terms of the excitement level i'm not as excited for every single game mm-hmm. but i but i try not to overlook how special this opportunity is i try not to look to overlook the fact that you know i am at madison square garden the world's most famous arena covering uh, events that people all over the country and sometimes the world are mm-hmm. watching. I'm privileged. You know, there are people that pay hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars to be there and I'm getting paid to be there. So that that's a blessing. Absolutely. I think the perspective of that and understanding you were going to watch the game anyway. Mm-hmm. you like writing, you know, now you get to interview the, the players you get to interview the front office you get that firsthand knowledge and firsthand experience why not right that just sounds Absolutely. like it's more fun like i totally agree you get to be there you get to get paid you get to interview these athletes and these these people and it you know sounds like you're taking a, a lot of advantage of it man i love it yeah i i love it too i you know if you had told me in august 2010 this is what i would be doing 10 years from now i would have said uh you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also would have said that about this pandemic. Um, That's but another, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Here we are. Here we are. And with no sports going on, um, what what have you been doing? How have you been able to kind of keep the articles rolling and keep the content getting out there? You know, I'm actually, it just, in a weird kind of way, my journalism career has, has been flourishing in this pandemic. Uh, I started writing for an outlet called The Grio. Um, I wrote my first piece for them at the end of March. And again, it's all about relationships. Um, a DJ uh, by the name of D-Nice has, has mm-hmm. uh, made a lot of noise because he's routinely drawn, drawing tens of thousands of people to watch him DJ on Instagram Live. And you know, draws a lot of celebrities as well, including Michelle Obama and Diddy and Jennifer Lopez, Drake, Rihanna, just ridiculous um, names. So I I know him. Um, So when I saw this thing really taking off, I said, let me check it out. 
I checked it out. I'm like, this is kind of cool. I can see why people were talking about it on social media and, and got excited about it. It's kind of cool. So I pitched the story to the Grio. Now I've been pitching stories to them since late last year and, and pretty regularly. So December, January, February, March, April, pitching stories. I had started to get responses from one woman who was there, but she left. <laughs> of course. So, so, you know, it looked like I was getting closer to landing something, and then she's gone. I stopped getting responses. But the day I sent the D nice pitch, I also sent, you know, three or four other pitches in the same email. They shot all of those down, but they accepted the nice pitch. Um, wrote the story. The story did well. And from there, I've been pitching stories to them, and they've actually been accepting quite a few of them. And the, the niche that I've seemed to have found is COVID-19 related stories, but not, but indirectly. Mm-hmm. So the DJ is playing music on Instagram live because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a story about uh, a woman that I went to school with who chose to spend the pandemic in Morocco instead of the the U.S. Um, And I wrote a story about an Olympic fencer who unfortunately was called a racial slur on a Zoom meeting that was scheduled because of the pandemic. And Zynga, correct? Yes, yes. Zinger Prescott. So, I know her. She's incredible. Oh wow, okay. Mm-hmm. What a small world. Um so um that that has become my niche. Um n- not writing about COVID nineteen, but writing about stuff mm-hmm. that that COVID nineteen has has influenced. Mm-hmm. And you know, so far so good. I I literally I wrote a story for them f- uh, Thursday, two on Saturday, and one on Sunday. So that All right. is my best week thus far. I'm I'm not going to equal that this week. I don't think. Um, and maybe ever, but um, just the fact that um, I feel like I'm I'm they're allowing me to grow as a journalist and mm-hmm. and and find my voice. By by speaking uh, about relevant things because I love sports, but at the end of the day, this stuff is more important than sports is. Yeah. So it's it's it gives you a greater sense of of accomplishment to be writing about events like that mm-hmm. as opposed to sports. And and so you bring up a good point, you know, this is you're still kind of finding your voice as a journalist. You've been doing this for 10 years. I mean, you're not classically trained as we found out. You kind of started doing this for fun. What has it been like to learn? I mean, everybody should be learning about themselves in some capacity every passing year, right? But especially being in this career now only for 10 years, um, what has it been like to kind of find yourself in, in situations like this where you're able to learn more about yourself and your voice and what you're interested in writing and considering, you know, you started in sports, then you went to music and entertainment. And now you're talking about, you know, just relevant worldly topics. Like how, how does that process work uh, for someone like yourself? Well, you know, it's funny. I think it was earlier this week, but um, a, a woman that I went to school with, she she's a journalist at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Mm-hmm. So so she's a you know I I, I went to NYU's uh, business school undergrad. She was in journalism school. Um, I was talking to her about my career and and the success I'm having in the pandemic, and I forgot what I said to her. And she's also a professor, mm-hmm. so she, so she knows her stuff. Um, she says journalism is sixty percent instincts, 30% writing skills, and, and 10%, you know, uh, efficiency in terms of how quickly, you know, you can meet deadlines, uh, especially for daily papers, but, mm-hmm. you know, for websites as well. 
um, and even for weekly papers, because everybody has a deadline, whether, you know, your deadline is mm-hmm. once a day, once a week, once a month, everybody has a deadline in journalism. Um, and I think I've been blessed with good journalistic instincts. Um, I'm also a good listener, so that helps. Um, you know, sometimes you hear interviews and somebody answers a question that they weren't asked, but you, but the, but the the person is just reading questions down mm-hmm. a piece of paper and they ask a question that has already been answered. You know, if you're listening to the interview, you know. Mm-hmm. That question has just been answered. Sometimes the person who you ask the question will say, I just answered that. No, it makes you you look bad mm-hmm. because you're not listening. Um, so I'm definitely blessed with those instincts. And in terms of spreading my win- wings journalistically, you know, honestly, if I'm inspired to write about something, I'm going to enjoy writing about it. Mm-hmm. So that can be sports, that can be entertainment. If it's a political story that I'm inspired to write, you know, I, for example, I wrote about, you know, there was a Facebook group that was supporting uh, the two men who murdered the the man jogging mm-hmm. in 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 uh, Georgia in February. This group changed its name it had about eight thousand people in it and in a day it went from eight thousand people to a hundred and eight thousand people and you know that was absolutely disgusting to me that that people are openly supporting those two men when you see him murder a guy on video so um i reached out to my editor about it and he said you know what Somebody told us about GoFundMe pages for these guys, too. Here's the information they sent us. Combine that with your Mm -hmm. Facebook findings. Write a story. You know, we have a we have we have a a statement from GoFundMe. Reach out to Facebook, get a statement from them. I did it. You know, and. I didn't really realize how quickly I turned the story around, but he gave mm-hmm. me the assignment Friday night. I turned it in Saturday morning. Um, but I was inspired to write it. And that's not what I usually write about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I saw something that I didn't like and I decided to use my voice to to voice my displeasure about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you said before, sports aren't really that important. Those types of topics are a little bit more important in the world. Um, you know, obviously, sports are it's a child's game, right? I grew up playing baseball. I played it as a seven-year-old. It doesn't really matter what happens. Um, there is a lot of money on the line, but as you said, stories like those about that gentleman down in Georgia or those gentlemen, you know, all, all parties involved, uh, those stories are a little bit more important. Um, and, you know, as you said, also the stories around surrounding COVID-19 and the pandemic and what comes out of it or, or what is how it is affecting people. Also much more important than basketball not being played well, as much as we want basketball back. You know, I want to see <laughs> yes, those playoffs. Yes. You know, as you said, it's a little bit uh, it's a little different. And so you, you kind of went into the the topic before a little bit. How are you a freelance journalist or? Yes. Okay, cool. So I freelance for every publication I, I write for. So so you brought it up before with the Grio, if I'm not mistaken. You kind of go to them and you pitch them story ideas. Being a freelance journalist, how does that push you more? Not really knowing where your next paycheck's coming from? Absolutely. Or, or how how does that like whole process work and how do you cope with it? Knowing again, not knowing really what's coming next. You gotta be self-motivated. Um, because you know, I do get assigned stories sometimes, but the majority of what I write are stories that I pitch. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not pitching stories, I'm not writing a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. If I'm not writing a lot of stories, I'm not getting paid. I'm dipping into the savings. And, you know, mm-hmm. that 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the other Jazz Johnson. Um, <laughs> so that, that wouldn't work out well for me. Um, so, and at the same time, there's, there's a motivation for when, when, when I'm inspired to write about something, I'm motivated to get my, my thoughts across. Mm-hmm. So that's, I have an uh, idea for a story. I want as many people to read it as possible. So I'm motivated to pitch it. And, and I told uh, a friend, I was giving him advice on, on, on pitching. You don't have to pitch them to the point where they say, Hey, this is a good story idea because if it's a generic good story idea, they can just say, I'm going to assign somebody on my mm-hmm. staff to write it. I don't need you to write the story. So your pitch has to not only be a good story, but you also have to pitch why you are the person to write the story. So, so for example, for me with the grill, how the relationship began, D-Nice was the hottest thing on the planet that week. He, the week I, I jokingly told people, the week I interviewed him, he did interviews with Oprah Winfrey, Gail King, Trevor Noah, uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon, and Darrell Jazz Johnson. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's a good list you know, to be a part of, man. Yeah, Not too bad. And you know, I sold it on. You know, he's the biggest thing right now. I know him. I have his personal telephone number, so I can call him and get an interview. And when I pitched that, did I know that I could call him and get an interview? No, I believe that I could. And I'm embarrassed to say how many times I had to call him to actually land an interview because every time I called him and he would answer the phone, he was about to do an interview with somebody else. Mm-hmm. That was more important to me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not foolish enough to know oh tell jay fallon to wait give me my yeah, right. 10 minutes no it's like come on i'll call you back when you're free you know um and and persistence and hard work you know landed me that interview and and that open door to what is starting a beautiful relationship between me and the grill that's awesome man and yeah it's always very interesting to me kind of the freelance world and how it works. And, you know, I know some people that freelance on top of their, you know, full-time job, mm-hmm. let's call it. Um, but it sounds like you're just a full-time freelancer, correct? Absolutely. Yes. And, and you know, kudos, and, kudos to you, man. That is, that is very impressive. Thank you. Thank you. But, but I, you know, um, I used to be a proofreader and copy editor for law firms and um, uh, investment banking firms. That's, not fun, no, <laughs> you know. That sound, just saying that sounded boring. Yeah, because it is. You know, that's not. Now there were there was not social media to the extent that it is now mm-hmm. when I was doing it. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to take selfies in my cube. Like, oh, 150 page document. You know, like like that's boring. Nobody wants to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not that I'm doing it for what people want to see. I don't want to see that. You know. I I do it because it was paying the bills, but I didn't want to see a 150 page document. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know. Um, so I actually enjoy what I do now, and and that's one of the things I try to talk uh, get across when I talk to kids or or young adults. While you're young, find out what it is that you love to do with your free time. And then figure out a way to get paid doing it. Because if you can, you're living a dream. You're you're literally living a dream. You know, I'm I'm a guy who used to pay to go to Nick Games or watch Nick's on TV. And now I'm covering that. Mm-hmm. I get to talk to players. Um and and that's living a dream. Um so so I always encourage people to try to do that. And it happened for me later in life. It didn't happen to me when I was a teenager or in my 20s. But it happened to me when I was in my 30s. It's never too late. You know, you could be in your 40s and and 
begin living your dream. And some people have. Samuel Jackson, somebody who I've interviewed before, I didn't know he was as old as he is either, but but he didn't really make it big as an actor until he was in his 40s. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I admire people like him who never give up on their dreams. Absolutely. It's important, man. I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, well, I will say when you're a teenager, 20 sounds old. And now that I'm 28, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 40 does sound a little old. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. But no, I mean, it, it is it is interesting how, how, you know, perspective changes everything and really understanding, you know, at 22, I was in one career. I was actually in finance, um, hated that, got out of that. And now I'm loving what I'm doing. So uh, it's definitely a little bit different, but really getting your wheels turning and understanding, you know, as you said, there you can make money doing anything. If you work Absolutely. hard enough, you'll be able to make enough money. And if you continue to work hard, you'll be able to make a lot of money and you'll be able to love it the whole time too, especially if you do it right. So kudos to you, man. And yeah, again, you've, you've interviewed some very, very cool people. I know, noticed Kobe was on that list as well. I mean, who, who has been your favorite interview so far uh, that you've been able to, to do? Hmm. Um, I've interviewed Magic Johnson a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And for a star to be as big as Magic Johnson is, he's he's so open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some people you see them on TV and you meet them and they're totally different. And then there's some people that you see on TV and and you get a chance to speak to them and they're exactly how you imagine they were. Mm-hmm. That's magic. That's awesome. He's he's great personality. You know, does not shy away from tough questions. You know, I interviewed him uh, November 2018, I believe, second time I interviewed him. And I asked him a LeBron question, you know, and he gave me a great answer. Um, And honestly, I expected him to to maybe uh, backpedal a little bit or Mm -hmm. or dance around it. Mm Mm-mm came straight for it with a great answer. You know, that's, that's magic Johnson. That's awesome. um, so he's definitely at the top of the list. Um, other sports people, you know, the, the great, the greats, Serena, mm-hmm. you know, being able to, I've covered the U S open since 2011. Um, so, that means minus the one year she was pregnant. I've seen her every year at the U.S. Open, um, and 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 seeing arguably the greatest women's tennis mm-hmm. player play is is a blessing. And 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 you know being able to ask her questions is is remarkable. Um, Serena can be intimidating, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I always have this. Questions if Serena's in a good mood. <laughs> questions if Serena's in a bad mood. Uh-huh. I love it, man. Because that, Serena, Serena's in a bad mood. No, you do not want to mm-hmm. ask her a tough question. She'll bite your head off. I've I've seen it. <laughs> I'm sh- I've seen it in person. I'm sure you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um it wouldn't be a good feeling to be on the other end of that. And I try not to do that. I asked her a question about her shirt one time. (laughs) And she questioned me about my question. She says, you didn't know what shirt I was going to wear. So what question were you going to ask if you didn't ask that question? And I'm thinking, what? Yeah. Did Serena Williams just ask me a question? That's kind of cool. As a journalist, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, am I supposed to ask it? This is not supposed to be about me, but it's Serena Williams. You know, unfortunately, I could not remember what that question was. And I was a little flustered by mm-hmm. Serena Williams asking me a question. So I didn't say anything. And she just answered my question. Um, but, you know, LeBron, you know, one of the greatest NBA players of all time. 
an even better person off the court mm -hmm. when you see all he does in uh, the philanthropic uh, acts that he does. And I remember huh, my first year covering the NBA. Um, the next third game of the season that year when they played at Prudential Center was against the Miami Heat. And, you know, this is one of the first handful of NBA games I'm covering. I definitely wasn't at number 10. Mm -hmm. It wasn't number one, but it was, you know, four, five, six, somewhere there. Pre-game, I asked LeBron a question my first time talking to him. He looks at me in the eyes and answers my question. I, I was a bit starstruck in the moment because mm -hmm. I'm like, LeBron James is <laughs> looking at me answering my question. Like I, I'm, be. I'm recording it, so mm -hmm. you know I had the yeah. audio. I did not hear what he said. I didn't. He could have called me a name. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have heard it because I was just in shock. You know, mm -hmm. being in that position from being the fan in August to in April interviewing LeBron James. Um, I'm trying to think of well, so so on that point, who like how did, how long did it take you to get over that feeling of being starstruck? Um, it happened pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 a weird guy. I get starstruck over people that most people wouldn't get starstruck over, oh, especially I, now. I think LeBron um, and Serena are two pretty good ones that, that you can get starstruck over. Absolutely, and 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 those are are names that most people would but other people on that list for me would be hulk hogan and bobby brown love it you know and and both of them you know their their better days were decades ago mm -hmm. um but still you know i i saw bobby brown at a tribeca film festival event a couple of years ago i'm like oh my god bobby brown i've been a fan of his since i was a teenager mm -hmm. um but honestly, you know, when I was interviewing Amari Stoudemire, I was not starstruck, you know. Um, so for the most part, it doesn't bother me. I, mm -hmm. I would have to be a big fan of somebody to to be starstruck. And and as I've as I've, you know, done more in the industry mm -hmm. i just block it out my head yeah I'll, i may get starstruck after but not in the moment mm -hmm. in a, in a moment i stay focused i love it that's good stuff man jazz this was awesome um thank you i really appreciate the time today i appreciate all the stories all, all the people we got to talk to uh some cool numbers in your phone i'm assuming i won't ask you who the most famous <laughs> one is but Darrell jazz johnson sports and entertainment journalist for over 10 years uh, really appreciate your time today, man. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Darrell. Such a fun dude. Such a cool story. Such a really interesting way to get into sports journalism. As he said, fall into it, fell in love, and just kept that train rolling. So please make sure to go follow him on all of his socials. Everything is in the show notes. Please also make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening, preferably on Apple or iTunes. If, even if you just have the app, you can just give us a five-star review there. I'm not going to lie. It kind of means more, unfortunately. That's just the way the system works. But that would be really, really great. And thank you so much for your time. I sincerely appreciate it. It's the only thing we don't get more of, so thank you for giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.